0: I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Will Republicans retake the Senate in 2014? What will happen in the House? What's the latest in 2016 presidential politics? People who want to stay ahead of the curve in politics turn to our good friends at the Cook Political Report for answers. For more than 30 years, Charlie Cook and his team have nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer calls the report, quote, the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver says few have, quote, a longer track record of success. If you make it your business to know politics, you need to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Head over to cookpolitical.com slash politicalwire, that's cookpolitical.com slash politicalwire to sign up today. And now to our conversation. It's almost time. Election Day 2014 midterm style is less than two weeks away. We can see the finish line from here, unless that is, the finish line gets moved. While Republicans seem more and more likely to take Senate control, could this election instead go into overtime? With possible runoffs in Georgia and Louisiana, recounts in close races, vote count challenges in states like Alaska, decisions by independent candidates on who they will caucus with, could control of the Senate hang in the balance until January? To know the answer for sure, you'd really need a crystal ball, which, of course, is just what we have for you today. Larry Sabato is University of Virginia Professor of Politics and Director of their Center for Politics. He is also author of numerous publications, most recently The Kennedy Half-Century and Editor-in-Chief of Sabato's Crystal Ball, the must-read detail analysis for elections across the country. Larry, thanks for joining me. Before we talk about overtime or shifting finish lines. Just today you updated your views or the crystal ball's views on the Senate, House, and governor's races. Let's start with the Senate. The headline uh, on your site is, Senate Forecast Cloudy with a Good Chance of a Republican Majority. What does that mean?
1: Well, that's a, that's a good way of kind of summarizing the fact that it isn't over till it's over. There is a path. For Democrats to get to a Biden majority, which is a split 50-50 Senate with the tie broken by Vice President Joe Biden, much as you know Vice President Cheney broke the tie uh, for a while there in, in 2001 for the Republicans. Uh, so that that's a possibility, but the probability, given all the trends and the nature of the year and the fundamentals, it's a sixth-year itch election of the two-term Obama administration, and with only one exception, that of Bill Clinton, you have a kind Kind of sixth year, itch, a movement against the incumbent White House party in the sixth year. Given all of that, uh, it would be difficult to predict other than a Republican Senate. Now, you can still argue, and most people in the field are about whether it's going to be fifty-one seats or fifty-two or fifty-three or fifty-four. Uh, right now, we come down in the middle. It's probably fifty. This is uh, this is the kind of election with a, a, quite a number of close races, where the probability is we won't know for certain, that is, we won't get over uh, the uh, 50 mark for the Republicans or get to the 50 mark for Democrats. On election night, there are too many ways uh, that the election will be stalled, at least for a while. But, you know, you'd rather be in the Republican position than the Democrats. Right now, we've, we've got Republicans leading in 49 seats, Democrats uh, in 47 and, uh, so you've got four that are, that are, uh, up in the air. And uh, when you look at them, probably the Republicans uh, will end up getting a majority because uh, Louisiana is a deeply red state. Georgia is a deeply red state. Uh, Kansas, we're all wondering about it. Uh, it's, it's deeply red, but uh, there's, a, there's a great Kansas revolt going on for both governor and senator. And finally, Colorado, where no one really trusts the polls because they've been so far off in both Uh, 2010 in the Senate race there and 2012 in the presidential race.
0: Yeah, and I really want to go through some of those key states with you, and you really hit on on some of the most interesting ones. What's going on in Kansas? What's going on in Colorado? Um, uh, Georgia, of course, is is you know keeping or keeping an eye there as well. Is is it too early? You, you know, there's some talk now. I'm starting to see a little bit of it. Um, Republican wave. Now, I know you're you're not there yet. You're kind of more in the 50-50 zone, probable to Republican, but you know you you at least see the I think some possibility for a a biden uh democratic senate um is this talk of you starting to see it a little bit more lately potential republican wave is that premature
1: well uh, yes it's premature and it also depends on what you mean by wave i guarantee you uh that many republicans will call it a wave even if it isn't what's a what's a wave well to me It means that a party ends up sweeping seats in the Senate, in the House, maybe even governorships that they otherwise wouldn't win. And in the the case of the Republicans, it would mean actually carrying blue states and districts. Well, I don't see many of them where they're all that competitive. Uh, I guess you could argue New Hampshire has turned blue, but I tend to think of it as purple. Uh, The Republicans are are competitive in purple states like North Carolina, New Hampshire, uh, Colorado, Iowa. But look at all the blue states that are done. Uh, the Republicans insisted last spring that Michigan would be competitive. It's not even vaguely close, and I'm happy to say at the crystal ball, we've never had it rated a toss-up. We've always had it uh, at least lean Democratic, now we've got it likely Democratic. Uh, Minnesota, where Al Franklin was elected by just a few hundred votes in that recount that took six months, uh, and uh, he's, he does not appear to be in any trouble at all. And you, you can go, Oregon is another case where Republicans thought they were going Going to to do well. So, uh, to me, a wave uh, is much more like 2006 for the Democrats or 2010 for the Republicans, where they end up carrying states and districts that in in a regular competitive year you would not imagine them carrying. Now, I'll tell you how I like to put it I think the Republicans could do better than expected. But I'm probably not going to call it a wave. I'm going to call it a full moon high tide. Because essentially you have, you have uh, breakers or white caps in selected states and districts. This is not a national trend. Plus, the map is so heavily weighted to the Republicans. Uh, if they can't win the Senate this year, when can they win it? You've only got 51% of the American people in states that are electing a senator. Uh, contrast that with the 36 governor's races open, about the same number as, as the Senate seats up. Uh, we've got almost 80% of the American uh, electorate voting for governor compared to 51% for Senate. And it's the most heavily Republican of the three Senate classes, all these small, deeply red states.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that as well. You touched earlier just a little bit on on the trends and and what trends we might be seeing in the statistic that you're stating on the the percentage is 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 fascinating. Are the trends? You know, what are we seeing happening? Is it that there are just too many competitive races in states where Obama is particularly unpopular? I mean, he's he's not overly popular, you know, nationwide, but but you know these key races in states where where he's particularly unpopular? Is it that? Is it that did Republicans succeed in nationalizing the election? Is this just your typical midterm madness? What, What trend? Is there any trend or series of trends that you kind of would point to?
1: Well, you make a very good point about Obama's role in many of these deeply red states. That's critical because presidential job performance, job approval numbers are very important in any election, presidential or off year. And in the case of this particular midterm, it's a six-year election. It's your lame duck election where the president almost always becomes a lame duck, and the Grievances have built up over the years, uh, not just with the opposition, but also with some of your own core supporters who don't show up to vote because they don't think it matters or they're disappointed that the president hasn't done X or hasn't done Y. It's just typical for the sixth year. But again, it's, it's the luck of the draw for Republicans that this sixth year election comes up when you have... Uh, states like Louisiana and Kentucky and Georgia and Arkansas and and others, uh, South Dakota, Montana, where the president's approval ratings are basically in the low 30s, maybe middle 30s, depending on the poll. Well, that puts a Democratic incumbent or challenger in a terrible position. Uh, the fact that these things are as competitive as they are is a tribute to many of the Democratic incumbents. Take Mary Landrew. Yes, she might well lose. You know, if you had to tip it today, based on the surveys, you'd you'd probably uh, tip it to Congressman Bill Cassidy. But the fact that she is as competitive as she is is significant. Pryor held on for a long time. We think that's probably over, and we'll go to the Republicans. But he held on. The Pryor name uh, means something. The Nun name in Georgia uh, means something. Uh, Alison Grimes, if some of the polls are to be believed, has maintained uh, a position in that race against Mitch McConnell that one would not have thought possible given President Obama's uh, job disapproval in uh, in Kentucky, which is around 31%. That's going to be tough for it to win, but uh, there's also McConnell fatigue. You see, you're balancing Obama fatigue with McConnell fatigue in, in Kentucky. So Every race is interesting in its own way. There are twists that have nothing to do with the national picture, but you have to superimpose the national picture as well on all of them.
0: And so let's talk about some of the ones that you just mentioned. You mentioned Arkansas, uh, Kentucky, Georgia, Louisiana. Let's maybe go to Georgia where where in, in the crystal ball, your crystal ball, Uh, today you wrote or your team wrote, uh, Michelle Nunn might have a better chance than David Perdue to win outright on election day in Georgia. I don't know that you would necessarily make that statement about Arkansas, Kentucky, or Louisiana. So let's start in Georgia. Do Democrats have an actual chance there? Is none, uh, is that something you could see actually happening?
1: I, I could see it happening. I don't think it's probable, but I think it is very possible because in, in the latest surveys, including some private surveys, none is edged ahead of Purdue. Now, both of them are below 50, but they're not that far below 50. There's a libertarian getting a certain number of percentage points. Usually it's three or four, and that's that could be enough to throw it into a runoff. But, you know, Purdue is not, has not been the best candidate.
0: Yeah, no. Uh,
1: and, and on top of that, the Nun name is well-known and respected. And I think most important of all, you look to the fundamentals. Georgia is going to be the next Virginia or North Carolina. It's happening. It's happening a lot faster than many people thought. It's happening in Georgia years before it's going to happen in Texas. Uh, you, you remember all the activity last spring about turning Texas blue. Well, it's, it's okay to try, but the demographics in Texas are much less likely to produce a democratic state anytime soon compared to Georgia, where the minority vote is increasing and the, the demographic and, um, and uh, urban-suburban changes are occurring in that state reminiscent of what's happened in, in the Old Dominion or among the Tar Heels.
0: And, and what do you see happening in Arkansas, you know, Cotton came out and he's got a, a terrific, on paper, he has got a terrific bio, if you ask me. I mean, the, the service, the education, the various things he's done. It's a, it's a great uh, bio on paper. Um, he, it, it felt for a while like he was sinking, falling behind. And I don't know, maybe, you know, per what you were saying just a moment ago, maybe that was the prior name kind of keeping him down. But, but now, you know, recent polls, he, he has been taking a lead. And I think that you guys are, are now, you know, putting, uh, Arkansas, I believe, in the likely Republican uh, category. What's happened in in terms of the the timeline and the trend in in that state? Was it just that that finally the prior name just gave out and all the other things, including Obama's uh, performance there, just won out? Is it more about pro-cotton factors? What's really occurring in Arkansas from your point of view?
1: I found the progression there fascinating because you remember in 2010, the last Democratic incumbent who came up, uh, Senator uh, Blanche uh, Lincoln Lambert, was blown out of the water. You know, it was yeah. near 20 points. And uh, there, there really wasn't any question about it. Of course, she had a very divisive primary, and, and Senator Pryor didn't. But the Pryor name matters because while Arkansas isn't as lightly populated as some of the, you know, Rocky Mountain states where you have to meet every voter, you know, three times, and maybe in Iowa too. Uh, It's still a personalized campaigning state, and you're expected to get to know as many people, meet as many people as possible. Well, they remember David Pryor as governor and senator. Uh, Mark Pryor has been in now since, uh, what, early 97? And uh, it's a name that's respected. I don't think people are that critical of prior i don't think his unfavorabilities are that strong this is an ideological choice and they were hesitant about it because they liked the priors and they also found tom cotton to be stiff and unpersonable and he was hmm. but notice how they've warmed him up he's yeah. uh, in a, in the ads mom and dad are always there or his wife and she's pregnant and you know all of these personal factors have warmed him up because he's not warm by nature yeah,
0: you, you couldn't, you can't imagine how warm I would seem in my own commercials as well. You, you might actually find me likable in my own commercials.
1: <laughs> well, I hope so. Yeah. Of course, I know you're likable
0: anyway. Yeah, Yeah. sure, sure. <laughs> just, just ask me. Um, uh, New Hampshire, Colorado, uh, maybe Kentucky. Which one of those are you, and, and, Kansas, just pick, pick one of those for me and, and which is most interesting of those to you?
1: Well, actually, I would have to say Colorado and Kansas are tied as being most interesting because... In Kansas, uh, something is happening that rarely happens in any state. They really are in revolt, and that will be true even if the Republicans end up uh, edging out victories, eking out victories. Uh, Governor uh, Sam Brownback, one-term incumbent governor, former senator, has alienated the entire moderate wing of his party. And of course, Kansas is overwhelmingly Republican. There's a deep pool of Republicans, and they may be able to pull him across the finish line again. Paul Davis, the Democratic minority leader in the lower house of the legislature. But the fact that it's so close and it has been close has nothing to do with Davis and everything to do with the anger at Brownback and his tax cuts and damage to education and other uh, categories of spending and uh, programs in Kansas. And then the Senate race is is just remarkable. Yeah. Uh, Pat Roberts is, is a classic – uh, long-term senator. It's true in both parties. You know they've been there forever. He's been there in the House and Senate for 34 years. He's he's rarely had had to break a sweat in the campaign. He gets reelected simply on inertia more than anything else. And suddenly, this year, he's got a, a fierce opponent, uh, flawed opponent, but fierce opponent in the primary who holds him below 50% with all his seniority. Then he thinks that the election's over because, my goodness, he doesn't have to worry about an Independent or a Democrat in Kansas. Well, lo and behold, the Democrat uh, withdraws, encouraged by the party, and the Independent is, media-wise, comes across beautifully, uh, has moderate positions, on most of the issues, and is evasive, <laughs> evasive enough to attract a, a wide coalition of support. It's a real race. I mean, it's worth a book, frankly. Kansas is worth a book.
0: Will we know everything on uh, November, uh, on the first Tuesday in November? What, what are the chances no. this goes into overtime?
1: I think they're, they're very good. I mean, we're, we're certain to have the Louisiana runoff. So if, if there's a one seat difference, if you have 50 Republicans and 49 Democrats, uh, the Louisiana seat becomes the election for control of the U.S. Senate. Uh, because if, if Landry's reelected, it would be 50-50 and a Biden majority. Uh, but I think also, we're not gonna know Alaska. Even if, even if the Republican Dan Sullivan is well ahead, Mark Begich, Senator Mark Begich, freshman Democrat, you have uh, that Bush vote, that out country vote, the rural vote there, and from the small towns and villages that Begich has worked like crazy for six years. Uh, he's he's got many satellite offices there, and he's going to carry that area very substantially. And it tri- the vote trickles in. It takes it takes a week. Some of the votes are flowing in, and I don't know maybe dogs. uh, for for some others of them, but it's going to take a while to know Alaska. Then we talked about Georgia, that could go to a runoff incredibly January 6th. Now, in their defense, that was ordered by a court in order to take care of the military ballots. Although, please, you know, we live in an internet era. Uh, Submariners can vote by encrypted email. You mean they couldn't (laughs) have worked out the military? Harry vote so that both runoffs if there's a gubernatorial runoff and a senatorial runoff they could both happen in early December yeah. wouldn't that have made sense
0: i, I was but, hoping you could explain that to me but i guess you're as confused as work. i am yeah no yeah, I, we I have I'm, to defend yeah,
1: them yeah. on that but you know it's just it's insane to have yeah. two runoff dates one for governor one for senator and then think about that suppose it's the georgia seat that will make the difference uh, in the senate and the senate is supposed to to come back to order or to come back into session January 3rd, that's the constitutional date although the Constitution also says the Senate can set another date and I think they'll have to if if the Georgia seat is determinative because there's no way they can organize the Senate until they know what happens in Georgia and look, we could have there's so many close races, there could be some squeakers and you could have the typical recount with the lawyers involved and you know a fight that will last for months, uh, who knows
0: Larry, just to close out, we we all know your catchphrase. Is politics still a good thing?
1: Oh, absolutely. Look, I'm not saying politicians are all good good things, <laughs> but uh, but the the process. I always say, what what's the alternative? You know, do you favor dictatorships or oligarchy or anarchy? I hope not. Yeah, uh, the, politics is the process that keeps this incredibly diverse. Society together. People think of it as being divisive. Actually, as a process, it holds us together. It gives everybody potentially a voice. And they have a chance to express themselves before the election and at the polls. And, uh, you know, politics is the oil that greases the creaky machinery of government. So, and it's the glue that holds together this, this demographically diverse country. So, absolutely. It is a good thing. It will always be a good thing in one way or another.
0: It is so terrific to have people uh, and particularly people in positions like you are in with the influence that you have um, continuing to to state that and feel that because I, I frankly couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, I, I should ask just very quickly. I, I apologize because I, I took a quick look at your uh, Twitter feed before jumping on the call with you. Um, a, a new documentary coming to PBS, Bombs Away. Is this uh, Joe oh. Califano I see a picture of here? Yes. I am
1: so glad you asked about it. I'm looking forward to this so much. Every year, the UVA Center for Politics, works with the Virginia PBS stations, especially the Richmond and Charlottesville ones, to put together a documentary about some political topic. Uh, Two years ago, we had one about uh, the Senate being out of control. That was The the, the title of it was Out of Order. Last year, we had the Kennedy half-century to mark the 50th uh, anniversary, sad anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy. This one has been the most fun to put together ever because it's the 50th anniversary of the Lyndon johnson Barry Goldwater presidential race. We're releasing it November 1st. November 3rd is actually the 50th anniversary of the race. It will be on every PBS station probably repeatedly throughout November, so you'll see it in your locality, but we call it Bombs Away because the entire election was built around the first group of highly negative television ads not just from Linda Johnson but also from Barry Goldwater. They hated each other and they took television advertising during campaigns from the boring period, you know, Eisenhower Kennedy where it was mainly talking heads and jingles, into the era we're still in, the era of extremely negative vicious advertising. And we've worked many of the ads into the hour. We found the Daisy Girl. She's interviewed the famous Daisy Spot. Wow. She's in there. We've got the both Johnson daughters. We've got Barry Goldwater Jr. Joe. Califano, uh, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, and and her husband, Dick, who, of course, was an LBJ aide, and and just tons of other people. I guarantee you this is one of the most entertaining hours you'll spend, and it's a nice break from the current politics. Everybody, I hope, will watch it.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. Well, I am glad I asked you about that, and, and I can't wait to watch it. Um, that, that sounds unbelievable. I don't know that I've ever seen the uh, Daisy Girl interviewed. Maybe she has been, but I, I, I haven't seen it. No, so.
1: she, she's been very quiet ever yeah. since. And of course, she was only three. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, She actually
1: yeah. apologizes for her role in in creating negative yeah. politics. But the truth is, of course, not only was she three, even her parents didn't know what the casting call was for, and they never told the parents. They simply had her pick petals off a daisy and count backwards. That, that's all they did. Uh, one little fascinating thing, and this isn't in the documentary, her mother after this appeared and obviously helped Johnson, uh, she wrote to the White House asking if President Johnson could take a photo with her little girl, since the little girl had played such a role in the campaign. Johnson, White House wanted nothing to do with her. <laughs> they uh, <yeah>. never met. <laughs> yeah,
0: Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, you you always find uh, incredible stuff um, and that, that'll that be terrific. So that's uh, November, November 1st. It's November... released
1: November 1st. Uh-huh. It's, as you know, it's up to every people PBS stations yes. to do their own scheduling and and you know it's I, I guarantee you it'll be on repeatedly you know how PBS does it yeah uh, so you'll see it sometime in November but most stations will probably have it on November first or second or third
0: terrific so uh, that's a must view bombs away the must read is crystal ball Larry Sabato's crystal ball uh, the latest um, uh, analysis and details on the political process uh, and you know there are books there's the Kennedy half century there's everything else uh, Larry Sabato University of Virginia professor of politics and director uh, of their center for politics and a great friend of political wire thank you Larry so much for your time I appreciate it it
1: was a fun conversation. I enjoyed it, and uh, we're, we're, we're going to get through the election. We always do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll take your word for it. Uh, thanks so much again. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.